All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And for a lot of people, real estate is something that maybe takes a little bit of time to get into, but they're usually trying to transition. They're like, "In, I'm in a job, I want to get out of a job. But today on the show, um, my guest Hannah has been doing both and seems like she's doing a little bit of everything. So it's going to be a great episode. Hannah, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I noticed the very first thing when we jumped on the Zoom is for people listening, uh, maybe you don't have the video, but you've got the kindergarten pictures. <laughs> and so you're uh, a school teacher. Mm-hmm. I am. Um, so the artwork behind me is actually for my five-year-old who is in kindergarten. I'm definitely repping Caroline's work. But mm-hmm. yes, I am a school teacher. That's correct. And so. A lot of people, when they are a teacher, are fairly kind of set, or maybe they're investing maybe in the pension or maybe in something that's a little bit more traditional. And there are people, definitely teachers, that um, find the time to migrate or actually end up moving completely into real estate. But you seem to be uh, balancing both of them. And what I like was interesting, you said uh, mostly new construction or almost all new construction. Is that the case? My single family homes are all new construction. I am not the fix a toilet kind of girl, um, but my apartment complex is is from the early 80s. Okay, so I, I found that to be really interesting. Why um, all new construction? I mean, there's obvious benefits of the maintenance, but why not? Um, I guess, why did you start there or, or why did you grow your portfolio in that direction? Great question. So I would have to say this backs up to my childhood. So let's go therapy session for a second. My The house that I grew up in, my parents built it. And I'm from South Louisiana. And so, you know, humidity and hurricanes, that kind of stuff affects mm-hmm. homes. My parents built their house. It's roughly 10,000 square feet now, but it was piecemealed together. This old house from the 1800s brought in off of a house reservation type thing. And everything was always broken. Like I promise there is duct tape holding a pipe together somewhere that my daddy did. And that's just, that's not me. I grew up in that. It's not what I wanted to do. Um, My husband and I started our journey. It was uh, the COVID times. We had kind of been looking into real estate, like maybe as an avenue, but we we were okay. We had our W-2s. I had this big house on a golf course, gated community. I was fine. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened and it just the world was shutting down for us and it was crazy. And my husband works at a chemical plant. He's like, I might lose my job. I'm a public school teacher. My salary is absolute peanuts compared to his. And so we're like, you know what? Let's just screw it. Let's do it. Let's buy the real estate. And so we both knew we did not want an older home. I'm not interested in fix and flips. That's not my thing. And so I was also working on getting my real estate license at the time. I was like, you know, let's just buy a house with MLS. It's new construction, low maintenance. Everything's warranty. If there's an issue, you call the company. The original plan was for us to buy one single family home every five years. Sell it after five years when the warranties are about running out. Sell mm-hmm. it, take the profits, go buy two. Well, the day I got my first rent check, I was like, mm, sell everything we own and let's go buy more. And mm-hmm. so that's what we did. We sold our stupid big house, you know, that 3,200 square foot house, sold it and bought several more new construction homes. At the time during COVID interest was, I mean, my interest rates on these houses are two and a half percent. I think my mm-hmm. highest was like 3.1%. So it was, it was, you know, I consider that low interest rate free money from the bank. You know, I was, I'm paying such a small interest rate and I was able to cash flow 
you know, one of my houses I cash flow at that time was like $1,800 a month. I mean, that's some mm-hmm. serious cash flow. So that's the route we went. I don't fix anything. My tenants, they do not call me. Nothing breaks. And if it does, like yeah. I said, we call the construction company. Um, and then the the market starts to shift. So we had to pivot. I could no longer get these huge returns. So I had someone who was selling an apartment complex. So we bought that next. And now I'm looking to buy more. So the so you've kind of put the lid on uh, the new construction purchases because of the numbers, right? At this current moment, if I find a stellar deal, am I saying I won't buy it? No, but it would have to be a stellar deal. And the way that our numbers are working here in the South and the, the migration patterns of people moving, new construction for me at this moment is not where I'm at. Yeah, I remember I was in Cleveland in 2019 and they're wiping houses out. They had a huge migration and they're Mm -hmm. just wiping houses out, but they were reconstructing, looked to be like the same house. It was like, it looked to be the same 1905 house. And um, what kind of construction were you getting at the time? Um, Was it the traditional uh, buildings or what were they building out there? And how were you able to cash flow at, at um, at that level? Great questions. So we live in the parish that I live in here in the South is the fastest growing parish in South in in Louisiana. Our schools are rated number one. We are near the Mississippi River. So industry industries, um, chemical plants, refineries are, I mean, amazingly hot right now. So people are moving to Ascension Parish like crazy. Neighborhoods, subdivisions are popping up like just like weeds. The houses that I bought are just regular houses. I like about 2,000 square feet, four bed, two bath. Um, it's not quite an Acadian style, but it's very cookie cutter for a subdivision. Um, I have noticed that renters like cookie cutter because they can kind of morph it into their own thing. I don't do anything crazy, unique, exotic. Just give me a straight run-of-the-mill house, white mm-hmm. paint kind of thing. Um, it's worked amazing so far. The numbers, like I said earlier, with my interest rate being so low, I was able to cash flow ridiculous amounts of money. Now, I don't know if if insurance has affected y'all up north like it has for us down south, but my cash flow has taken, I don't want to say a beating, but it has a black eye because our interest, not the interest, excuse me, the insurance has gone up. We live where hurricanes are an absolute all the time thing for us. And my cash flow has taken a dip. However, I'm still doing fine. Like we're still making tons of money with that. Um, So there's really no super concerns for that. So one of the, one of the questions that, that I like to ask is, is kind of the, it's a Robert Kiyosaki thing. What the secret secret sauce, what is it you find easy that other people um, might find difficult in the business of real estate? I think that the word easy is a double-edged sword. So I also host a podcast and my essential tagline is anyone can do this. That is something I will I will die on that hill. Real estate is not hard. There are hard days. There are hard tenants. There are tough times talking to banks, but this is not a difficult concept. Um, I do not think it is hard, but I don't want to say that it's easy either. Like I've mentioned earlier, I do have a W-2. My husband has his W-2. We run our portfolio, single family homes and multifamily homes. I have a family, like we are busy, but you have to prioritize what you want to get done. 
And for lack of a better phrase, I tell people to suck it up, suck it up, buttercup. If you want to do this, you're going to do it and you're going to find a way to do it. I will also stay that in the beginning, we were sitting on a pretty good stack in our savings account. So we bought that first house, conventional mortgage, 20% down. I don't remember the exact, but I feel like it was close to 80 grand I had to put down. And that was probably the scariest day of my life. I had never bought anything outside of like a regular primary residence where I just handed over a check. I remember shaking, handing it to the to the lawyers or whatever it is closing. And um, and I was terrified. And, you know, to add a little bit of real life stuff, we closed on that house right before Christmas. In the South, Christmas is huge. And then it was New Year's and I didn't have a renter. And then it was January, end of January, I didn't have a renter. I didn't have a renter in February. I didn't get a renter until March. And because we had a property manager, they got their first cut. So I didn't really get a check until almost May. So wow. I handed over 80 grand. I didn't have rent coming in. But when I did, that's when I'm like, okay, we've struck gold. Let's go do it again and again and again until we run out of money. Then that segues into using other people's money. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. So break down the numbers. So like, I'm not super familiar with the, with the, the cost of new construction out there. Break down the numbers as to what kind of cash you're talking about to get into these things and what people were paying for rent. So I don't remember all the numbers. My husband is more the money person, but I, I will say at that time, this was also before our crazy inflation hit. I yeah. think our first house we put was $220,000. So mm-hmm. we put 20% down. Um, at that time, I rented that house out for eighteen. Hold on, give me a second. Eighteen fifty a month for that mm-hmm. house. I feel like I don't remember exactly. My house note for that one was like maybe eleven hundred dollars. Then I bought another house that was very very similar um, in price point, rent points, and then I bought a bigger one. And the bigger one was two thousand square feet. That one was the four bed, two bath I spoke of earlier, and I was able to rent that out for twenty five hundred a month. Um, oh. Yes, I my house note for that one was like a thousand bucks. Um, so it just, at that time it worked, the interest rates, the insurance numbers, uh, you know, prices haven't doubled or whatever since COVID this was like that right before cusp. Um, Mm -hmm. and now things have completely changed, which is why we've migrated out of that pattern. So is the, you know, over the next 12 or 24 months, what does the future look like for, for the business? Are you going to be selling them off? Are you going to be just holding, what does it look like as far as those apartments and how does that all work? So for the single family homes, um, one of the houses I will be selling this summer, the tenants in there want the house, they nice. want it. So I'm like, you know what? I've got a little over a hundred thousand in equity sitting there. Let's take that debt equity and let's go do it in something else. So that one I'm for sure going to sell. Another one we're looking at, we are on the fence of what to do with it because the tenants also want to buy it. And I'm like, you know what? I have another hundred sitting there. That's 200 grand just sitting there that mm-hmm. I could put towards something bigger. The rest of the houses we're keeping. The apartment complex, on the other hand, is older, right? Like I said, it's from the mm-hmm. late 80s, it's actually from 79, uh, from the early 80s, I would say. Um, that one is cash flowing us. It, we are milking it right now. Like it's, We've put a lot of work into it. It was a value-add property, a C-class value-add. Mm-hmm. For the moment, we are going to keep that one and milk it. I know a lot of people talk about the whole survive till 25 mantra. Um, today, we're going to keep it. Last night, we were going to sell it. Three days mm-hmm. ago, I mean, it just kind of changes with what's going on. 
But since we've joined a mentorship program and we're wanting to learn how to syndicate, I am not 100% sure what I want to do with it. And the apartment is um, in the same area or different states. Some people are investing out of state. Yes, sir. It's about 30 minutes away from where I live. So close enough that we drive it. We go to it. Um, the entire family, I say the entire family, my daughter, my husband and I are a team. Um, she's five and she's part of that journey as well. We make her, we have an on-site laundry facility for that one. And we make her clean out the laundry machine. She does the baseboard. She wipes down the machines. Um, you know, we all kind of do that one together. Nice. So with the syndication, um, I'm sure a lot of people do know, but for the people who aren't, aren't, um, about the multifamily, explain the C class, B class, A class real quick for the people at home. Gotcha. So guys, let's think about it in the terms of restaurants. And I'm not sure where you're listening from, but let's talk about Chick-fil-A, McDonald's and Burger King, kind of regular run-of-the-mill places. We all know Chick-fil-A. We love Chick-fil-A. Their customer service is superb. That's an A class. Something that when you walk into it, you can ask $1,800 a month for this unit because you have granite countertops, you have a pool, you have a 24 access gym, A-class, top tier, mm-hmm. big luxury. B-class, I'm, I'm not a big McDonald's fan, but I'm going to have to say McDonald's would be your B-class. Fries are delicious, but the service is not that fabulous, right? You probably yeah. still have some granite countertops, but the building might be, let's say the, the units are 20 years old. They still look great. But it's just not as nice, right? C-class is going to be your Burger King. Nobody really likes it, but you go there occasionally. C-class is going to be... (laughs) So C-class is going to be more of... um, The people who live in my C-class building work. Mm -hmm. They work for a pest company. They work for a plastics plant where they... Actually, I don't even know what this these residents do, but they work for plastics plants. One of them works for a cable company. It's not the high level earners. They're above a Walmart worker for where I have, but they're there. They have to work. They have to budget. Um, But great people, that doesn't mean anything. Um, So if I, I don't know if that helped at all. I don't know if I just threw anybody for it. I mean, the the main thing I guess is um, a lot of times when I'm looking at B and C, the difference makers, whether they have parking. So like most of the sieve class buildings, if they have parking, it's not enough for the whole building. And it's not usually a huge problem, like you're saying, because the the tenants are hardworking people, but more importantly, the building is uh, near some sort of like major transit. So, Correct. Um, you know, so that building you're looking at is a C uh, that you have is a C building or, or, you know, on the edge there. Are you going to continue looking in that class or are you are you going to look for b's or c's like what's the plan as far as your uh expansion of apartments because you said you're going into syndication so that's going to yes. mean looking at a lot of units you're asking some really great questions so <laughs> i actually wrote uh, my action plan i i guess you could call it for my mentorship program and i t- i said that my next purchase would be a 100 unit b class asset Um, I feel like A-class for me at my current spot is very, very competitive. I'm not quite there yet. And so I was like, B-class all the way, right? You still get good stuff. It's not the stuff you got to fix. You might have to do some cosmetics, but it's still a good concept, a good class. And then this last week, I was like, I don't know. My C-class is just kicking ass right now. Like we're Mm. milking it. It's doing great. And I was thinking about investors because it's really not what I want. It's how I can make the returns for my investors. And investors that I've noticed, they like value add. You do a little bit of work, dump 20 grand and then boom, 
you raise those rents and you might have a $200,000 increase. So I'm torn between the B and the C. I will also add that I think it depends on where I buy because Mm -hmm. I'm looking in a couple of different markets and one of the markets is an A, B area. That's just what it is. One mm-hmm. of the markets out of state is kind of like a B minus C-ish area. So it's hard for me to say what I'm going to buy because it's going to depend on the location. Yeah. Some some people are drawn to like the the A and B buildings on almost on vanity. Like look at how nice yeah. this building is. But when you open up the books on those, um, the cash is usually in the B and the C, um, depending on really what you're going for. So how have you started looking at hundred unit buildings and two hundred buildings? And what, have. what have you found to be the biggest difference between smaller units and larger units so far? So it's hard. Let me, let me back that up for a second. We started talking about syndications mm-hmm. and talking about what asset I wanted to buy. The next asset I buy, I do not want 30 co-GPs. I do not want to work with that many people. Mm-hmm. So what I purchase will have to be more in a, in a price point that I and maybe two or three people can buy because I want a bigger slice of that pie. When we've started underwriting these deals, I'm noticing that the location, number one, huge hit, but also the demographics and what type of jobs are around there shows me what type of complex I can buy. Mm-hmm. We started underwriting a deal for a 399 unit in Louisiana, um, but it had so many problems. It was near LSU, which great campus, great location, but it had umpteen problems. Half of it was vacant. It was under renovation. It sold hands like six times in the past two months. Mm-hmm. I don't see all that craziness with the smaller units. Um, so it really kind of just depends on where you want to go and what you're wanting to see. Um, but I feel like the bigger units just have bigger problems, right? The more money you have, the more you want to spend. And it's just, you don't know, those big units are just, they freaky. Like they got stuff everywhere. So it just, yeah, yeah vacancy know. and stuff like that. Right. Fake r- rent rolls and they yes. changed hands six times because someone yep. got into it and now the, the next person's being tricked into it and now they're trying to trick you into yes. it. So. Yeah, be careful out there, guys. Looking at apartments, you know, it's it's uh, the I think the game is really due diligence. So mm-hmm. you mentioned mentioned that you're in a apartment a syndication mentorship. I am. Mm-hmm. How did you end up deciding to go in that direction, and um, how has that been so far? So I have been in in the real estate space. I think I'm going on three years now. I love local meetups. Rhea meetings, that type of thing. I am also a very big proponent for conferences, especially in the beginning when you're learning. There have been some conferences that I've gone to that have been so amazingly stellar. It has absolutely changed my mindset. And I have been to some conferences that the guy next to me is spending $50 million. Like, oh yeah, I'll write you a check. And I'm so scared, like running out with my tail between my legs. Um, I decided to join a mentorship because although what my husband and I have done, I'm very proud of what we have done especially while working our W-2s and raising a little one, mm-hmm. it's not growing fast enough. Um, another aspect of wanting to do that is I love to teach, but I do not love what I currently do any longer. The teaching world is just, it's crazy. And my husband's job is extremely dangerous. We knew, and also he's a high earner. So we knew that in order for us to grow bigger in the industry, in the real estate space, we have to get out of our W-2s. It sounds counterintuitive, but my job is bogging me down. I don't have time 
to make these phone calls and run due diligence because I've got great test papers and I've got to call parents and I've, I've got to do all these things. And so I knew that we had, we had to have help. And as much as I hate to say it, we had to pay a ton of money for this help. It costs to join the mentorship programs. But I also believe that proximity is power. Mm-hmm. We talked to, I don't even know, probably 20 different mentorship programs. And some of them are astronomically insane expensive. One of them wanted $95,000 per person. No, I, no, I, I just cannot do that. That's insane to me. And so we found one that worked within our budget, someone that I have actually run into several times at several conferences, and it's working out really well so far. We do um, weekly Zoom meetings um, because he's based in another state, and uh, there's a lot of homework, a lot of stuff I'm learning, a lot of just simple things like running a CRM. Heard of the word CRM, or the acronym, I should say, 300 times. But until you get to the nitty gritty and you're working your three-way, working your way through active campaign, it's like, oh my gosh. There's so much stuff I do not know. So it's definitely been a learning curve for the positive though. Yeah, because your syndication is the management of that database and putting these deals together. So um, I like the strategy we were talking about, not putting a bunch of uh, GPs together, like Mm -hmm. keeping it small, um, less cooks in the kitchen, because people are, are always talking about how many units I have, how many units... How many do how you much, actually what's own? What's the percent? <laughs> yeah, what right. percent of all those units do you have? So uh, definitely an interesting strategy. Um, what have you found so far as your, because you were self-financing, did you have mm-hmm. to raise capital for the new constructions or was it just a rolling capital from your first deal? Right. So the new constructions, um, we, we did ourselves. The first one just straight out of our savings account. And the next couple of them where we sold that big giant house I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, that one was actually an unintentional flip. We bought the house that was kind of the junkiest, I should say, in the country club. And we fixed it to live in because this was before we wanted to real estate and realized, holy crap, we got a ton of equity. Let's sell it and go buy a couple houses. So we did. And um, the single family homes, that's just straight ours. Our apartment complex, excuse me, our apartment complex, we actually did have to raise capital from that. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm a talker and I talk to everyone and I talk to everyone about real estate, specifically tax benefits and like how it can ease your pain points and returns on your money. And I was actually at the doctor's office one day talking about real estate. And he's like, hey, I want to do that. Like, mm-hmm. great. I had just gotten my real estate license. So I sold him a house following the exact same model that my husband Brad and I had for our single family homes. And I was like, this is great, but I really want to buy an apartment complex. He's like, hey, wait. I have a patient I think is selling one. I'm like, oh, we're best friends now. So mm-hmm. it took about a month or two, but um, we ended up partnering together. I was able to talk to my doctor friend and uh, we went through what returns were and what kind of partnership we could have and expectations. And that was my first capital raise. It was not a ton. It was about $150,000, but um, it was significant at the time. And so, yeah, that one, we we had to raise capital for that one. And I'm, I'm looking forward to raising a lot more with the next few deals. Awesome. Awesome. So um, when it comes to capital or, or rather your deal finding, when you're looking, because you've been self-financed, but when you're looking mm-hmm. at these apartments, are you going to, are you planning to raise your capital and go hunting for deals or are you looking for deals and then matching the capital to that? What is your strategy as you look at that? So that's a really interesting question because I know it's a hot topic. A lot of people believe you have to have the deal first, the money will come. 
I am not in that boat. I do not believe if you go find an apartment complex, $10 million will come your way. I don't. Mm -hmm. I believe more of that you have to find the money first. Um, there's several different ways you can do it. You can make a fund where all the all the, the investors' money comes together and just sit in this account while we wait to buy something. Um, I am trying to flip the script. I am not looking to be an apartment investor. I am not looking to take your money. I am looking to help you make your money work for you. I want to help you make significant returns on your cash because I don't care what job you have. Every job sucks and every job is hard. There's mm -hmm. no reason that your money should not be making money for you. There's no reason that you shouldn't be making like my doctor buddy is making an 18% return on his money, his investment. There you go. That's right. I mean, that's phenomenal. I'm very proud of us for that. There's no reason you shouldn't have that. There's no reason you shouldn't have these tax advantages. There's no reason that you should not have all the benefits out there. So I want to be able to raise the capital, but it may not necessarily be for an apartment complex. It might be for a mobile home park. It might be mm -hmm. for a self storage facility. Um, so I plan on tailoring what I look for based on my investors' needs. If they mm -hmm. want 10% return, mailbox money on the third of every month. Okay, great. It might take me a month to find a deal that suits you, but that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. So serve, serving the money, like uh, I'm a Absolutely. big believer in, in the stewardship of money because absolutely, it's not just money, it's other people's money. And that's the thing that people sometimes forget is that it, if you're not servicing that money or if you're not deploying it, they'll put it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And you'll have to find some more capital. There's a lot of capital, but the the idea um, is usually what is driving people. So I like I like how you're trying to match it up so you have both your goals and your your capital partners' goals uh, in alignment. Absolutely. And the thing with that is, it is other people's money, and I do mm -hmm. want to be a good steward of their money. But I have a reputation too. Now I realize that I'm very small in this world, and I'm I'm trying to grow. But if I'm not a good steward of their money, friends talk, people talk mm -hmm. when, when it's a crappy service. I mean, who wants to go to Walmart? Nobody, because it's terrible. I want to be a good steward. I want a good reputation. I want people to say, hey, Hannah Bersage is killing it. You really should go talk to her. I want that. And I want you to make your money. And I want everybody. It's just real estate is the coolest thing ever because it democratizes the wealth. Anyone can do this. Mm -hmm. If you pull your funds together, you can go buy this big ass asset and everybody wins, but you have to do it correctly. You have to be ethical and you have to, to treat, I mean, it's a business, this is money, but you have to treat these people like friends. I, um, anyone can do this. Anyone can do this. Yeah. And especially, you know, if you're, if you're not wanting to be so active, there's ton, there's lots of people out there that can help you invest it, but, you know, make sure that, um, you're doing your research as to who you put your money with. So, oh, absolutely. It definitely sounds like Hannah's got the the plan and she's got the the right mindset to steward the money. So if people want to, you know, get connected with you, find out more about what uh, you're doing, what should they do? So I am all over social media, y'all. First, you can find me. I also host a podcast. It's a couple months old. It's called The Financial Game Plan with Hannah. You can find me Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your stuff. Uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. Pick a social. I'm there, Hannah Bersage. Um, You can also email me, hannah.bersage at gmail.com. Y'all could even give me a call. My number is 225-324-2319. You reach out to me in any way. If I can help you, I will help you.
Awesome. Well, I think I think we opened a lot of people's eyes as to, you know, anyone can do this, especially, but uh, I really enjoyed the story. And I, I wish you all the best in, in your syndication as it's the next frontier of your real estate. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great. All right. And until next time, guys, we'll check you on the next episode. Bye, y'all.